This is Mythic Deviant with C. Gabriel. Today, a brief overview of the Divine Comedy. The Divine Comedy is Dante's version of navigating hell, strolling through purgatory, and eventually ascending to the heavens. This epic poem is written in a two-steps-forward, one-step-back rhyming scheme, much like life. Dante himself is our hero. He begins lost in the dark woods, surrounded by animals, an appropriate metaphor for preschool. He could not have made the trip alone, but depends on the guidance and care of his mentor, Virgil, and first love, Beatrice. In each of the three portions of this program, Inferno, Purgatory, and Paradise, Dante moves through nine circles. In the Inferno, the first leg of the journey, Dante encounters all manner of sin, from having the poor judgment to be born before Christ to betraying masters. The tragedy, as if damnation is not enough, of this group is that they enter the first circle silenced to the point of forgotten. As with all human beings, when they aren't seen and heard, they start acting out. And so begins the descent. There are a few exceptions, of course, else why make a rule? The final circle contains big names like Lucifer and Judas. Sidekicks never get the respect and appreciation they deserve. And there's Brutus. Apparently, it's a sin to do away with your superiors, even if they are polytheists who are doomed to this version of hell anyway. This part of the journey contains terror and intrigue. Plus, there are many naked people. I suspect it's challenging to get quality laundry services in hell. The bit I found most notable here is the way the circles resemble quicksand. People are punished first for their natures, then for the choices they make from their natures, and finally for having the bad grace not to shut up about it. The first five circles are methods of coping with their inherent challenges. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, and anger. And each additional descending circle, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery, is essentially an increasingly loud expression of their pain, marginalization, and desperation. These folks need to be heard. But still, we find that some are retrieved from this final locale, the Ninth Circle. Hellish misery, it seems, is an addiction. Once one goes so far, one has no choice but to hit bottom before beginning the ascent. How I wish for a world in which need was met with sustenance rather than punishment. But that's just me. In heaven, we'll learn that that last thought is considered, at least by Dante, to be a sin. If he has his way, I'll burn for it. But for now, our hero moves into purgatory, which is a waiting game, unless you've got people praying hard for you, or it's a holy year of mercy. That's like a get-out-of-hell-free card that your loved ones can play on your behalf, though Dante coyly does not mention it. The souls in Dante's purgatory are learning contemplation. Specifically, they're contemplating the tensions of the opposites, their own internal battlefields. They see dualistic images the wholeness of their redemption on one hand, and the horrors of their unconscious instinct gone off the rails on the other. Presumably, this is to prevent the readers from making off-the-cuff remarks like the last sentences I wrote in that last paragraph. Remember, remember, one resident cries. It seems that when we arrive in purgatory, we don't need others to remember us. We can remember ourselves, given the time to contemplate our natures rather than endure punishment for them. I'd make a pithy remark about God preferring some natures, but I can't even play sarcasm about grace. It's outside of my nature. The sacredness of life values us all. Church leaders do not. And apparently they have convinced Dante, who in turn struggles to make sense of their distinction. He eventually and consistently reaches the conclusion that God, as unquestionably represented through the morally superior bishops, knows best. It's in this realm that Beatrice, Dante's childhood crush who died young and married to another, is dangled like a carrot. 
We learned at the beginning that she was his benefactor, asking that he be shown this structure out of the fear that he will be led astray, and the love that she has carried since childhood. She was alerted to his plight by her BFF, Lucia. But in purgatory, Dante once again moves closer and closer to her. Here, as in life, she fulfills his senses, but remains out of reach until the very end of this phase. There she reveals herself. She releases him from fear and shame so that he will no longer speak like one who dreams. She wakes him up, and she does it by throwing him into the streams that will cleanse him of guilt and reinforce his perceptions of his own grace. Finally, Dante enters paradise metaphorically through those same sexy peepers, who each project a different image onto grace, a friend, a lover, a memory, a dream. We see Dante's eternal identity, and hopefully also our own, when he reunites with Beatrice. He clearly remembers himself in all his wholeness and struggles to convey this. It's true that ecstatic grace cannot be captured in words. Nothing sacred can. We tell stories like this one because words are not enough. In indescribable steps that emphasize the sacred nature of life, Dante finds home. He finds God. To sum up, according to Dante, after subtracting the dogma, or maybe according to me, reflecting on Dante, hell is experiencing and reacting to our wounds. Purgatory is painstakingly applying heat and ice as they heal, and paradise is finally understanding that they are not scars at all, they are the places on our bodies where God has carved tender love letters to our souls. More on this later. Until then, author responsibly.